Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. It's Rebecca Levy. I'm in the studio today with only Amy Ozdan. SelfishMom.com. Andrea and, is out being busy at CE Week, yeah. checking out all the latest and greatest. And I'm not even sure I'm really here because um, we have a TV in our studio. We don't use it for our show. I think <laughs> other, shows, other shows do like Skype and stuff. I don't know. It's just it's on here. It usually isn't turned on. It's on, and the price is right is on, and it's right in my field of vision. And so it's CBS, yeah, like I, I might not be paying attention to our podcast. You I'll, might be, be I'll be, I'll be. Well, you have to yeah. pay attention. No, if you hear me yelling <laughs> higher, higher, it's because I'm watching The Price is Right while we're recording. Well, you're not allowed to do that because we have a really <laughs> special guest today. We have Kim Moldovsky of The Maker Mom on the phone with us. Hi, Kim. Hi, I'm we, so glad to be here with you today. We are so excited you're joining us all the way from Chicago, and you are our only topic today. We should tell our listeners we will have our bites of the week, but we are doing an all-maker show mm-hmm. in celebration of summer and the joy that is having your children home with you all <laughs> summer. Um, but we feel like, yes, your kids should be outside playing. Yes, they should be in the sprinkler. Yes, they should be you know digging in the dirt. But summer is also a good time for them to do some really fun project-based learning. And um, well, yeah, when they're clawing at the door to come in, yeah. you should have something ready for them. And to And they do. could do stuff outside. I know Kim's got some stuff for all all seasons. But um, I think this is like really important because parents either do like just go outside and play or screen time. <laughs> there's a lot of parents are looking for maybe there's something interesting, cool, and this really is learning without kids sitting behind, you know, doing worksheets and stuff like that, um, which is what most people associate with summer learning, which I think is dreadful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi. Yeah. So, um, do you want me to just jump in with some thoughts? Well, let's talk a little bit about the Maker Mom. Um, because okay. so Amy and I have known you for a long time through a lot of iterations. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, all of which have been incredibly fun, funny, smart. Um, and I feel like you had two incredibly smart boys. Um, and so when I first met you, we used to have a lot of conversations about gifted and talented and what that meant and the lack of resources for it and all those sorts of things. And you sort of um, took that on and then really expanded on that into this whole maker world and technology and STEM, which has been really cool to watch. Right, so I, I sort of see the maker movement and STEM as two sides of the same coin that, that, you know, if your kids are making stuff, they're going to be learning, they're going to be measuring, they're going to be learning how that thing they made interacts with the world. And, um, and so I, I tend to talk about both of those as almost the same thing. Um, I don't know that traditional educators would necessarily agree. But I do think, as you said, you've seen things develop over the years with me and my family. And I have one boy who is going to be a junior in high school who's really into robotics. Um, I coached a robotics. I started and coached a robotics team because he begged me to several years <laughs> ago. And honestly, when I say coached, there's quotes around that because it was him and a handful of friends, and they did everything. I was the one who signed us up for tournaments and paid the fees and drove us everywhere and, and you know procured the equipment, um, and they did everything, uh, which was really a great experience for them. 
Sounds um, like you were the manager and they were the, right. they were their own right. coaches. I love those right. kids. Yeah. And, um, and then my other son who is going off to college, he is a computer programmer. And so they're both really into STEM career, you know, leaning, working towards STEM careers. And yet when they were little STEM, nobody was talking about STEM. These are just what their interests were and what they, you know, what turned into passions for them. And um, I think they would argue that many times as a parent, they were dragging my husband and I along rather than us pushing them forward in I, these things. I feel like we should just go back a sec. Just I, I know that we have some listeners whose kids might be younger or who don't have kids and aren't talking about this all the time. We should define STEM. We should tell oh, them what right, STEM right, stands right. for. So, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. And basically, having a good grasp of those topics is what will help children have great potential, you know, great career potential in, you know, in this century. Um, you have to be familiar with under with technology and not just using technology. And I know this is a big point. I don't know if it's for both of you. I feel like I've definitely heard Rebecca talk about this, that you know, when you give a kid an iPad, you're not teaching them technology. You're <laughs> teaching them, you know, to point and click and open apps, um, teaching them about what goes into the technology or how they can make technology, how they can create with technology is really a different thing than just saying, I bought my kid this shiny new tech object. Yeah, it's like um, giving him a spoon and saying, I just taught you how to cook. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. Um, and I, I do know when my kids were little, they definitely gravitated toward these sort of geekier science camps or, you know, programming camps or what, what now go under the umbrella of STEM camps. Um, and while those camps do tend to attract a lot of gifted kids, they are open to kids from a range of backgrounds. Um, and sometimes a kid who may not be strong in math at school finds the right computer class or computer camp and really takes off. Um, and then that feeds their understanding of, you know, not only the technology, but, you know, something like math. Well, I feel um, like like at camps, a lot of the time they give them project-based um, learning that really mm -hmm. connects it in a way that sometimes school doesn't. And once they see how everything interacts, they suddenly get interested in it when they weren't before. Right. I do think the ability to work on these projects and to work on things that just seem like the outcome is creating something cool or making a fun game and not having to be tested on it along the way. Yeah. You know, I think I think that's a big part of it. I think that school is so test driven that um, it really is taking away the time for the fun and the exploration that really leads to a deeper, more personal and I would argue in some ways more meaningful kind of learning. Um, and as long as I'm going off on this, I want to mention a book that had been sitting on my nightstand for about a year and I finally read it. Uh, it's called Making Makers. Uh, so it's Making Makers, Kids, Tools, and the Future of Innovation. And it's by a woman named Anne-Marie Thomas, who is up at uh, actually the University of St. Thomas, I believe, in the Minneapolis area. Not the Virgin Islands? <laughs> no. Uh, no, I would definitely go visit her if that were the case. Um, so she runs what's called the Playful Learning Lab there and um, does all sorts of really cool things. I don't know if you're familiar with squishy circuits, uh, which are no. like these Play-Doh circuits. Um, if you Google squishy circuits, you'll, you'll find out how, uh, and your listeners can find out how to make them uh, on their own. But... Um, 
so she she's well known for that. That was I think she she and her grad students worked on that project. And um, her, the book Making Makers just profiles various people who are well known in today's maker movement, and she explores their childhoods with them and talks about some key principles that and themes that she feel like emerged and are key to the maker community, like, um, you know, curiosity and having a sense of playfulness and being able to take risk and uh, having a sense of persistence. I found as a parent, I felt like, you know, again, I have older teenagers, but I felt like I would love for people with younger kids, like early elementary school, to read this book because I felt like I was sort of virtually fist bumping and high fiving her as I was reading the book, um, just in terms of how this, what's happening in schools today, and um, the importance of allowing children the freedom to explore on their own and learn things on their own. And then the flip side of that is many of the makers in her story that, that she profiles in her book um, have some childhood experiences where they almost blew something up. Right. They almost, you know, they almost did The kids who really. lose their eyebrows. Yeah, we all know those right, kids. Right, right, right. And, um, and our kids, you know, it's great that we're keeping them safe. But on the other hand, they're missing out on a lot just by not having that ability to go explore and do things on their own um right so let's dive in a little so let's say so you're the parent and you're not going to let your kid just take off for the day right um, because we're going to be realistic here (laughs) what our (laughs) listeners what they say they want to do and what they're going to do um what are some great kits that you've encountered or um you know some project-based learning resources for this um, so there's one kit that this this skews a little younger, like probably the youngest end of the audience that we're talking about. Um, it's called the Girls Can Crate. And so it's, you know, boys might enjoy it, but it definitely skews toward a girl audience. Um, and they profile a woman or a couple of women in interesting careers. And often there is a STEM connection, but I don't think it's they're necessarily designed to just target STEM. But it was, I thought, a really good kit that they produced and I thought there was a lot of value added you know sometimes there are kits where you pay your $30 and really there's like $5 of materials in there that you could have procured on your own Uh, so I felt like girls can um, the girls can crate was a good value I do think the um, like the kiwi crates and tinker crates Mm -hmm. those tend to be pretty good with high production values and interesting activities and materials um, who did I? Oh, I just um, wrote about this on the blog, the Maker Box. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a quarterly kit. So you would get that, and it has three projects. So they, they mail it out once a quarter instead of getting a goodie once a month. Um, and those were, I mean, those were things that could be purchased on their own, but um, it was they were offered at a good price in this in the in the Maker Box. Um, and those are something, you know, they were activities that might take an hour or two. You're not going to get a whole summer of fun out of them necessarily. But now I'm going to reverse myself, actually, because one of the things in the Maker Box was uh, the Makey Makey, which I think 
you've seen before. Yeah. It's, it turns anything into a keyboard. That is something where a kid can find different ways to explore that over the summer. Uh, and as much as we hate to hear that whining about how bored our kids are, I, th- I do sometimes believe they need to get to that point before they're forced to be creative and start doing things on their own. Um, and so, you know, parents, if you could just stick that through, make it through <laughs> all that whining, um, you know, and, and I know we offer helpful suggestions when our when my boys were younger and they would be whining about being bored. Um, helpful suggestions would be like, well, let's clean the basement or let's go through <laughs> right. your books and toys and see what you no longer play with since Apparently, you have a lot of boring things around here. Let's uh-huh. find a child who can appreciate these. Um, and that would often spark, um, you know, some creative play. Uh, I do think keeping, you know, making your own kind of maker kit or STEM kit, uh, you could just take your basic, you know, Rubbermaid container and fill it with tape. Kids of all ages, I would say, like, starting in preschool, kids love tape. So now there's all these, like, cute washi tapes mm-hmm. you can get painter's tape and masking tape and duct tape and um they just really seem to like creating with tape um so you've got say tape and you've got glue you know so you've got a basic you know maybe some of those little brads and paper clips things that can fasten things and then you've got paper and maybe you have interesting kinds of paper like cardstock and patterns origami paper tissue paper you know some so different items in that genre and then things like paper towel tubes and toilet paper tubes and and um you know fun things like stickers or markers you know things they can embellish with and i think kids can wind up having fun with that even if it's not something they necessarily gravitate to i think in those moments where you're not offering anything else and they're not allowed to go on a screen they can come up with something pretty cool or maybe you let them go on a screen and find a project that they want to emulate but i think they can i think a lot of kids left to their own devices will ultimately find a way to entertain themselves oh Um, i I once gave my son a punishment by putting him in what i thought was an empty room because i was so uh mad at him and i went back i snuck over to the door because he was really quiet and i found him playing with a paper clip so like (laughs) if they're bored enough kids will play with anything they just have to get bored enough right that's like the cardboard box right never throw away your cardboard box (laughs) <laughs> right. Cardboard boxes are awesome. And I remember reading in Chicago Parents a few years ago when they were doing their holiday issue and they had gone to some third grade classrooms to have these kids test out the products. And um, somehow they got on the discussion of talking about uh, cardboard boxes, like refrigerator boxes or something your dishwasher might come in, really large cardboard boxes. And all the kids had stories about how much they love playing with a cardboard box and the sports they created and the houses and oh, yeah, you've got a rocket of, or a castle right there right <laughs> right all of that stuff and then she said oh so like what if your parents gave you one of these boxes for for christmas or for hanukkah and they all said no, no absolutely right. not <laughs> so, no but if no, you had a giant toy that came in a giant box right, <laughs> then, then right. exactly exactly so um and as far as getting outdoors i want to plug a brand new book from a friend of mine who has a great site. Uh, Her name is Liz Heineke and she has, uh, her site is the Kitchen Pantry Scientist. Oh, that's cool. Um, And she has a new book. Well, she has one book called Kitchen Science Labs and it's a really nice, it's just there's something calming. I feel like some of these books try so hard to make science exciting and sexy that the books are just like 
the graphics are jumping out at you right. and the colors. Are, I, I find some of them too busy. So I really just love that she has fun projects and they're kind of calmly presented. Um, so her new book is called Outdoor Science Lab for Kids. Oh, and it's 52 family-friendly experiments from the yard, garden, playground, and park. Um, and she has, I know I have, uh, I just got this about a week ago, and I have a few things bookmarked that I thought, we need to try this. Uh, so, for example, the solar heat beam, which is basically taking a marshmallow and a magnifying glass and cooking your marshmallow by focusing the sun's rays on it. Or Not, not ants, you know, a marshmallow. Right. Ants. We all did ants. Now you do a marshmallow. Um, oh, but that reminds me when you said we all did ants. Another book I really, really like for summertime especially is, um, I think the author is Giver Tully, and it's, it's uh, like 50 risky things you should let your child do. <laughs> And, and he has a great TED Talk that goes with it. Um, so that that's worth, I hope you'll, you'll link to that. I'll definitely um, link to that. So the book is like, play with dry eyes. And <laughs> the one thing, my kids have done many of the things he mentions in his book, but one thing I could never bring myself to do, even though this totally happened all the time when I was a kid, lots of boys especially did this um put pennies on railroad tracks oh, oh i did that over them right I, but for some and we live near railroad tracks but for some reason i could never i could never bring my kids to do it because i was afraid they would do it without me and even though my friends did it in third grade the thought of my children doing that just freaked me out we used to so. do it at the long island railroad my dad would come out <laughs> on the weekends in the summer and then we'd have flat pennies after the railroad pulled away now they they moved the tra- i think you can't do it anymore like you can't access oh, you can't get to the rail oh. and i do think even if you did it there's a chance that somebody might call the police on you yeah oh they definitely would suspicious you know if an eight-year-old yeah climbing into the tracks to put their pennies down <laughs> okay so we are not <laughs> advocating doing <laughs> don't this. do that well keeper oh. tully is so but right really, like, <laughs> blame him that, that, that is fun <laughs> family guide of like hey let's try some exciting things this summer and um it's a nice it's a nice family guide i think if you're up for a little excitement and adventure um so what do you think what do you think so i think a lot of people feel like oh i want my kids to do stem projects i need to buy a really expensive i need to buy little bits which i think are awesome but you know i need to buy this thing and then they buy it and it sits in a box or they make they do a lego thing and they make it once and they're like i can't believe that was 75 dollars and my kid did it (laughs) once and now um you know and there's so many things um labeled stem now i think especially you know go to toy fair you see every single thing that has the littlest bit of something with circuitry or something they're like it's stem and you're like i don't feel like that's stem right no i i have definitely noticed that too because stem is suddenly really hot and so it's a it's a way to market your product um and i would say there's a similar thing happening with uh computer programming that Mm -hmm. a lot of pre-programming um games they don't teach programming but they're just about logic but you know what People have been selling logic games for years. Right, right. You know, it's, it's not really like a new thing. Doing a crossword puzzle or even Sudoku, it's not like it's that new. Um, that suddenly it's you know a STEM a STEM activity. Um, I do think that you're right. Like parents buy these things and then they're exciting for a while and then they sit. But again, I feel like some of that is letting your kids get bored and then saying, oh, hey, let's play with the little bits. Uh, let's see what we can make. And when little bits first came out, I, I loved them from the beginning. But when they first came out, there wasn't 
necessarily a whole lot out there in terms of tutorials or activities. Mm -hmm. um, and now there's a lot more online. So it can help you as a parent if you feel like you want to guide them a little toward that exploration. There are tutorials out there to aid you in that. And um, I know there's a man in Chicago. I think Little Bits is trying to establish community leaders around the country. There's a man named Pete Hill in Chicago who does workshops with Little Bits, and he does amazing things. I mean, I want to take a Little Bits class with him <laughs> because he, like, he made a strand beast with Little Bits. You know those, uh, like, I don't know how you describe a strand beast. They have a lot of legs, and right. they sort of propel themselves. Um, he does really complex things, and he, he's pretty inspiring. Um, there's another, I'm going to throw out another book I really like because it relies on things that you might have around the house and requires maybe a few small purchases um, because I do think parents get really into and and I promote some of these things on my blog I get excited when there there is a great new robot that's really accessible or things like little bits um, but at the same time I want parents to know you don't need to spend $100 or $200 or $500 or even $50 on a robot like there are if you give kids basic supplies or if you have a radio shack left in your neighborhood you know pop <laughs> into a radio shack and uh, pick up some basic components and some batteries and there's a lot you can do on your own so along those lines there's a woman named Kathy Ciceri Oh yeah, has, she Kathy. has a couple of books that she's done lately for Make, um, for the Make magazine folks. But before that, she had a book called Robotics: Discover the Science and Technology of the Future, and it's got twenty pro uh, twenty projects that might use some basic uh, electrical components. But then you're also using string and cardboard and straws and cups and things that aren't going to cost you a lot of money that you probably have around or could easily procure. Um, so I think great. like using something like that and saying, oh, there's 20 projects, let's pick 10 and do one a week. Or maybe if you do a couple with your kids, they'll get excited and want to continue on their own without you. And I think that's really great if your kid gets to that point where they do feel like they want to explore on their own and they do want to work on their own. Um, I think a lot of parents get caught up in, oh, but I don't really know STEM or I'm not good at math or mm -hmm. I don't know about technology. And I would say in my experience as a parent, again, everyone's mileage varies, but in my experience as a parent, just as I did with my son's robotics team, just being the one to like get the supplies and help organize things kids can 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 go on you know, on their own um, that if you act as a facilitator rather than a teacher that's fine and I think that's even more exciting in some ways you know it's it's nice learning alongside or from a parent but it's also parents don't need to be in that role of feeling like they always need to be the expert yep I think that's the most important point and I think especially do not tell your kid that they are bad at math and you were bad at math and that's just the way it is because math is so many things and mm -hmm. I think especially girls internalize that so early and mm -hmm. so I yeah. hear so many moms be like well you're never going to need math anyway you're not a math girl or whatever right. you know I'm bad at math too and it's there's so many other ways to approach math and I think it is the worst disservice you can do to your kid is to tell them they're bad at anything <laughs> um, yeah. before they've had a chance to explore it maybe the way that makes it accessible to them. 
Um, so I love these ideas. These are great. We are so happy that you finally joined us. You gave us so <laughs> many good resources for our listeners that Amy now has to sit and find and write up yep. <laughs> for everybody. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> um, but next time we're going to have you on again and we're going to talk college. That will really freak parents out. <laughs> so yeah, yeah that is that's a much scarier topic than i know stuff, let me tell you but so. thank you and we'll make sure everyone we will link to the maker mom which is an amazing resource for parents and i think summer's the perfect time dive in pick a project and i like the hands-off approach organize and then let them be yeah organize put the screens away and then let the magic happen Awesome. That's the best well, sign-off ever. <laughs> so much fun. Thanks, Kim. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We will be right back with our Bites of the Week. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. All right, we are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, guess what? You're going first. Okay. Um, I have two today. I brought two since Andrea isn't here. Um, The first one's dumb. The second one's awesome. (laughs) So the first one, um, it's a webcam. It refreshes every 30 seconds, and it shows a light bulb. It's the Centennial light bulb. It's been burning for almost 115 years. What? Yep. And it's so stupid, but I keep checking it. Like, (laughs) yep, still burning. Like, after 115 years, like, it has to go out at some point. It's so weird. It's it's in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest burning light bulb. Um, It's at a firehouse in California. And, like, at some point they realized, hey, we haven't changed this in however many decades. Why can't they make that for everybody? Well, you know, it's funny (laughs) you mention that because... I actually found this through an article that I was reading about whether or not planned obsolescence of technology is a myth or whether they actually do make things to break easily so that you keep buying them. And part of the article was that um, in the 1920s, about 40 years after light bulbs were invented, the three biggest producer of light bulbs, producers of light bulbs in the world, in the world did collude to make sure that light bulbs oh, didn't Thomas last Edison. He for, was a more, tricky dude. <laughs> for more than a thousand hours so that's that people so would have to keep buying them. Crazy. Yeah, like there's proof. Like they found the paperwork that this happened. That's like the Ellen DeGeneres joke about why they don't make the whole plane out of the black box material. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> it would never get off the ground. Right. But, you know, yeah. Like so it, and and the article, I'll, I'll link to the article, too, because it was really interesting because it went into like how planned obsolescence can actually um, uh, inspire uh, innovation. Um, but yeah a lot of the time it's it just gets us buying new crap right spurs economy yeah but so you can go check this light bulb and see if it's still burning because <laughs> now that i know it exists i just keep checking it that's it's so funny so stupid okay but the second one you might find this really awesome did you read the sweet valley high books of course, okay, of course. like Jessica everyone our age <laughs> of course perfect size six yes, yes. <laughs> and there, there were like over a hundred of them yeah and they all had um these like Oh, they were just such 80s covers. Yes. Right? The covers of the books, like, they're so iconic. So there's this guy named Jimmy. His website is jimmyart.com. I don't know if he did all of the covers, but I know he did a lot of the covers. Yeah, like, he, and he also did, like, Nancy Drew covers and some, I think some of the um, uh, Judy Bloom covers. Like, he, that was, like, his thing. He did those covers. He still does commissioned works. No. And he All will those draw illustrations. Yeah. Oh and he will God. draw you in like the the style of a Sweet Valley High book cover. 
I mean, how incredible would that be? That's <laughs> to, crazy. Like, have, have like your family portrait done in the style of a Sweet Valley High book cover. It's so amazing. Um, I think his prices start at two hundred dollars. I don't know if that includes a Sweet Valley High thing, but. Yeah, like now I feel like we have to do that. Oh, no, we have to do it. We have to do a or Parenting like, Bites picture, the yeah, three of us. Yeah, we need a portrait of the three of us, like as Sweet Valley High girls. Yeah, we absolutely <laughs> have to. I, I'm obsessed now. Uh, um, all right, so my bite of the week, I have two also. Oh, okay. Andrea's on here. See, we're such overcompensators. So my first is um, the Microsoft Store. If you have a Microsoft store near you. And we finally have a big one now in yes, New York. They have amazing summer camps for kids. Oh, yeah. All covering all country entrepreneurship, coding, Minecraft. They're free. You just sign up for them. Um, it is an incredible resource for your kids. You probably have one in a mall near you, mm-hmm. a Microsoft store, but you can check online. Um, it's really worth checking out. There are so many people looking for free ways or cheap ways to introduce their kids to technology. Mm-hmm. This is a great way to do it. So I highly recommend what's going on at your local Microsoft store. And my second one is also a STEM thing, which I mentioned once before because I saw it at CES. And then I saw it at Toy Fair, and it's finally out, which is the Coda Pillar by Mattel. I haven't seen that. So it is a long caterpillar. And each segment of the caterpillar is a piece of code. So one piece will say an arrow going straight. One will be go turning. Wow. One will be a sound effect. And it's for ages three to six. So it's a big, long, white caterpillar. And depending on how your child assembles the caterpillar, it will do different things. That's just going to teach them the way to think like a coder from yes, the Yes, that's what it's about. It's about thinking in terms of algorithms and pattern. Yeah. So I gave it to my niece this weekend, who is three and a half. And granted, she's brilliant, so obviously <laughs> of it's, it's biased. But um, she just, that was it. Once we took it out and she started to grasp the concept, because she was like, turn this way, turn that. And I was like, you can't turn that way because he needs this arrow. He right. needs, you have to put it in the way you want him to turn. Once she started to understand that and then pull it up and switch it around, she totally got it. And what it does is at each point, it lights up where it's at in the code so she sees like he's going straight the green straight arrows flashing and then he turns and the little or he moves to the next segment and then we could all prepare when it hit the sound effect segment <laughs> for what was going to happen um, maybe that's like let's put the sound effect at the end um but it was fascinating to watch how quickly she started to understand that she could control the way it was going to move wow because she was very impatient at first like why right. it wasn't going well, where she wanted to go um but she really caught on very quickly on like, let's pull this piece out and put it here and see that changed it. And then like she could do it on her own. It was, it's a very cool toy. So I'm gonna check in with my sister in a couple of weeks and see if she's still right. playing with it. Um, do you remember <laughs> how much it cost? I don't, I will find out. It's not cheap. Okay. It might, I don't know, I wanna say. It's definitely over 50. Okay. Um, but I will will check before we list it. Um, and it's available everywhere, Amazon, Toys R Us, you know, you name it. Um, but it was very, very cool. And it was cool to see a three-year-old playing with it mm-hmm. because we all, all the adults thought it was cool at CES <laughs> and at, you know, Toy Fair. But to see a three-year-old really get on the floor with it um, and also not be freaked out. So as noisy and sort of has lights, as noise, which she doesn't always like, this was totally fine. Huh. Like she just was totally into it. Um so yeah, so I highly recommend that as 
a it's definitely on the higher end of what you would buy a preschool but for a birthday um, or holiday or like grandparents or who are always looking for something are, nice to totally buy. yeah um, grandparents that and also like you know kindergarten graduation preschool mm. graduation if you're looking for that kind of gift it looked like it would provide many hours of fun because they can keep changing the pattern hmm. um, and might be a share thing too with a kid I don't you know something two kids could do together because it's awfully long mm. so check that out that's the coda pillar from Mattel and that is it for us for this week thanks Amy thank you just you and I on this hot sweltery day and uh, you will find links to everything we talked about of course at parentingbites.com because Amy is going to meticulously have to re-listen to all those amazing recommendations <laughs> from Kim um, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash parentingbites find us on Twitter at hashtag parentingbites feel free to tweet us questions or leave them on our Facebook page on topics you'd like to see tackled my daughters today recommended um, fake Instagram accounts so maybe we'll tackle that one week. They're called Finstagram. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's sweeping sweeping the tween and teen world. Uh, so maybe we'll talk about that one day. You can also check us out on iTunes where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And, of course, on Play.it where you can find Parenting Bites and all the CBS podcasts, which there are lots of them. None are as good as ours. But you can no, tell them. But all. they're good. <laughs> okay. Until next week. Bye. Bye.